0: This episode was recorded on the country of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to extend our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and we'd like to extend those respects to the traditional custodians on the lands wherever you may listen to this podcast. The Humans of Agriculture weekly podcast is proudly sponsored by LAWD, specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. To find out more, head to lawd.com.au. Well, good day, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm sorry we didn't have an episode last week. I reckon I was just as bummed as a few of you, but it was great to get a few of those messages checking in and seeing what we're up to. This week, we're certainly making up for it. When you think of Humans of Agriculture, you probably don't think of TV producers, directors or cameramen, but our next guest is exactly that. Tommy Lawrence has worked on some of the most iconic TV shows that Australia has ever had, from X Factor to Bondi Rescue. But it was his love for rural Australia and his life growing up in the top end. that saw Tommy wanting to share the stories of people from right across northern Australia and bring them to TVs across the world. But it wasn't all smooth sailing for Tom. He grew up in Darwin and attending high school was a film and media class that they just wouldn't let him into really sparked an interest in it. After going off and completing an apprenticeship, Tom returned to Darwin but realised that the construction industry really wasn't for him. So, he uh, headed off to the Gold Coast, got a uni degree and since then he's worked on some pretty cool shows. Territory Cops, Mega Truckers, Outback Wrangler, Outback Ringer, X Factor, Bondi Rescue. Well, there's so many that he's already done and even more to come. So what I thought I'd do in this chat is go behind the scenes, understand a little bit more about what it's like to work in the roles of a videographer and documentary maker and see what opportunities you reckon Australia's got. We did float the idea that could we create our own Yellowstone equivalent? Well, you better listen in to find out. Enjoy the chat.
1: Okay. You're like John Laws. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. That'll give you a few options there. Are we in sync?
0: <laughs> how do you want me to introduce you, Tommy?
1: You can just introduce me as Tommy Tommy <laughs> so, Lawrence Hey, how you going, Ollie? Good to, good to see you Good to finally be here, we've been talking about this for a while
0: I'm trying to think, so it was after Liv Borden, after that episode She um, gave me your details
1: Yeah, Liv, Well, so I met Liv like a while ago now So I took um, Emma and my wife up to the territory I think we were doing a casting run So I think we'd already done, we did a short ivy series of outback ringers and um it had done it'd been quite popular on the ivy platform so we got the opportunity to go and make a um you know make the big series one and um, part of that's doing casting so you know there's you know years and seasons between when you sort of first meet everyone and you first get up there and we um so we went on a road trip and just went visited all our different talent and characters that we wanted to put in the series and um, yeah, we met Liv and she was working out at Behind your Downs with, uh, with the cooks. Yeah, so we got chatting and, yeah, those those guys are having a good time up there.
0: Was it an easy process going through finding your cast or was it a pretty rigorous process?
1: At the time, we were, I was a bit stressed about it and I was thinking, like, oh, this is going to be hard. And, you know, it's a pretty big road trip. We were sort of Darwin down to uh, Lola and then back up through uh, – oh, no, we went out as far as um, Hell's Gate and then we went back up through um, – uh numble, numble station which is kind of sort of a few hours south of catherine so it was, you know it was a decent road trip a few thousand k's and um i remember i was a bit stressed about it uh thinking you know like what if i go all this way and you know the, the characters are not that interesting or they don't nobody likes us and they don't want to talk to us and because you you're often so you speak to people on the phones and and uh when you finally meet them sort of press the flesh and shake hands yeah but you know, looking back on it now, it was probably the easiest part of the whole process. <laughs> Tell me about
0: that, like, because well, this is a bit of a learning curve for me now. So, how how long would it have been between the first time you called or reached out to someone to then actually filming?
1: Um, I, co- I couldn't remember um, for each character because it was probably varying times. But like, what the first the first person I ever spoke to about filming this series was um, a fellow named Les McLaughlin, who's just an Absolute legend of a bloke. Um, he'd have to be one of the handiest guys going. And uh he's from he's from Kananara, I think, originally. And he was a few years ahead of me at high school in Darwin, but I didn't really know him then. We we sort of got reacquainted in Alice Springs um through some mates I went to school with, and he said, Oh, come out and give us a hand if you want to do any filming. Um, you can help me build this fence first. And I was like, Build a fence, oh yeah, shouldn't be too hard. And next minute we were out at Mount Denison station sort of out near Yundamu and we had yeah, a few kilometres of fence to put in and it was bloody hard work. Um, but yeah, so Les and I became good mates and he was, he was a really good rodeo rider and he said, look, if you want to find some good ringers, you got to come to the rodeo circuit with us and that's where you'll meet them." So we, he was, um, he rode in Aileron and the pro show in Alice Springs and then up at Boralula Rodeo. So, we um you, you know, just became a groupie. I was just a groupie with Les <laughs> cruising around, you know, you know, drinking beers with him and taking over on the road, like on the driving shifts, and um up at Borrell All is where I met um all the Shadforth's and um, Plutos and a lot of sort of you know really sort of talented operators in in that area, and that's how we ended up working with Clary and Frank and all that. Um so well I met them in 2014 I reckon it was, and didn't call them up again until kind of 2015 when we were sniffing around, and then. Ready to film in 2016, so it was. Um, yeah, I think I got my years right there. Maybe a bit lost. <laughs> yeah. I want to jump back a few steps before we get
0: too deep into Outback Ringer
1: because I think we can just probably talk on that for days. But um, so you're a territory boy. Where? Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Grew up in Darwin, born in Darwin Hospital. Um, I'm one of four, so we all all went through school in Darwin. Um, and yeah, like I was still my brother and sister are still up there. I've got another brother down in Melbourne, so pretty pretty kind of. Still involved in the um, in Darwin community and, you know, have a lot of friends and family around the area. Yeah. Tell me um, the interests in filming.
0: Where'd that come from?
1: Well, I remember I was at high school. I went to Darwin High School and um, they had a film class and um, it was film and media or something like that. And um, I really wanted to do that class, and they were like, "Nah, you're way too misbehaved. You're not allowed to do it." <laughs> so I was sort of like, I had a bit of vengeance in me. I had to sort of prove that I could. And um, sort of when I finished when I finished high school, um, I started a Bricky's apprenticeship, and was just sort of went over to WA and didn't really like that, and went back to Darwin. Was just working around the construction industry and had some mates working with cameras and just always thought like if opportunity come up I'll jump at it and um, I got an opportunity with uh, ABC local radio in Darwin just yeah. editing audio and doing the ads and I uh, quite enjoyed it but um, you know is the, the radio is a little bit sedentary you know I was stuck indoors and it was early shifts as well like you were sort of you had to be in there cutting stuff for the news so first bulletin was at 5am or something so I think it was a 3am shift and so you're in there real early and so um, anyway i Ended up deciding to go to uni and went down to the Gold Coast and I'd never been to the Gold Coast before and that was a bloody eye opener for me and um, I had a great time in the Gold Coast studying and did um, film and television there and one thing led to another and got a job in Sydney working Bondi Rescue and um, sort of yeah just stuck with it ever since then mainly in the documentary sort of space. So was that your first ever gig in the in the big wide world? Was Bondi Rescue? That that was my first ever gig in Sydney. My first uh, first job was a show called um, Mega Truckers. Yeah. Um, for the A and E Network, and we followed um, followed a fellow named John Kelly. who had a heavy haulage, uh, company in in Browns Plains near Brisbane, and um, yeah, that was awesome. I, I've always been you know right into sort of cars and trucks and stuff anyway, and. Um, and the fact that I was from the Territory um, within amongst those guys that worked there, they all thought that was really cool, you know, it was like sort of a bit of a sort of stripe on the shoulder for some of those heavy haulage guys if they'd dragged any big equipment sort of as far as Darwin was sort of, I think, sort of pretty good bragging right. So yeah. the fact that I was from up there and I knew a few people that they knew and um, sort of quite, it helped a lot because uh, people would talk to me on camera whereas they were maybe a little bit hawkish about the other fellas that had come up from Sydney, so... I kind of um did like i felt like i did a good job on that show and and the production company there they gave me an opportunity to come down to sydney and work uh work on bondi rescue
0: and so those early days was it camera in hand you were very much in the in the cab with the truckers
1: yeah pretty much yeah you you basically sat next to a truck driver with a camera and tried to think interesting questions to to pin them on and and um being interested in trucks i had heaps of questions for them which was uh which was always pretty good and I remember being pretty surprised though, one of the guys, Ryan, he was a, he was a great fella and um, I remember being like, you know, pretty like, I thought I was not impressed or I thought I liked trucks and then I see him at the end of the day, he would have done, you know, 1,000 Ks all day and then in, in his truck and he'd sat there all day talking to me about his truck and other trucks that he liked and was interested in and then, I was like, oh, all right, we're at a roadhouse. And I said, oh, I'm going to go get a feed. And he goes, oh, I've got, I've got some food here anyway. And he pulled out in Life magazine and started <laughs> looking through the pages. I was like, oh, man, this guy, he's doing what he loves. Like, <laughs> I'm going to Bondi instead. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how how'd the gig with Bondi Rescue? Because I think what was cool, look, and and Liv mentioned it, but then looking at your kind of rap sheet, the different shows you've been on, landing in at Bondi Rescue its a pretty iconic place to, to get your first kind of big gig.
1: Yeah, well, I'd never been to Sydney before. I'd I'd um I'd been to Melbourne a few times growing up, and um so I sort of had a bit of an idea of what happens in a city, but like nothing like moving moving into you know Bondi Beach in the summertime and sitting on the sand there for twelve weeks. That it was a real um it was a real eye opener, and I knew a couple of fellas from Queensland that had a share house um sort of near the beach, and so yeah, we we all lived there, and yeah, that was a lot of fun, <laughs> hey. yeah.
0: What's it like when the cameras aren't rolling on in the back end or background of those shows?
1: Well, the cameras are pretty well rolling from from the minute they roll, open the shutters in the morning to when they close them at night. So daylight hours, it's um, you know, you're there, they're big shifts as well, and and seven days a week people are there on the sand and it becomes a physically pretty um, labor-intensive job. And it was sort of like back then it was the time when like GoPros were first Coming out, like before, prior to GoPros, they had this guy, um, Brooke Sylvester, who's a bit of a legend in the surf film game. And he would sit on the sand. You know, people always, they watch Bondi Rescue, they think somebody, oh, you're faking it. They're not really drowning or whatever, but it, you know, it's all real. And this guy, he'd, he was so good at reading the way a person would walk and move on the sand, he'd be able to go, that person's going to drown today. And he'd just stalk them like prey with his camera and he'd wait till they'd be in trouble and he'd swim out and he'd film them. I reckon we used to see shots of him. I was a, a big fan of the show. And every now and then he'd end up
0: rescuing someone.
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of episodes where he's ended up sort of getting <laughs> involved and helping people out. But so he'd go out with flippers and a camera, that big sort of camera that would float. Yeah. Um, and uh, And yeah, he sort of would get involved and then he'd be there filming them whilst they'd be kind of calling for help. And then, yeah, then the lifeguards would go out and, and save them, so... Yeah, it was pretty cool but I, I got the job with the GoPros and so what I'd be doing all day is the batteries wouldn't last very long and so the cameras just recorded all day. So you'd just walk up and down the beach and there'd be I think 10 or 12 boards set out along the beach that just sit there waiting and the lifeguards would be watching the water and if someone got in trouble they'd just run down, pick up the board and swim out and help them. Yeah. So you had to make sure that no matter what those cameras were rolling because if someone's gone out, if lifeguard's gone out and save someone's life, The cameras weren't rolling, like, that's your, you know, that's your job. And so, so you... bit of pressure. bit of pressure, but all day you're just walking up and down, up and down on the soft sand in the sun, changing batteries and making sure they're all recording. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I did that for a couple of seasons. It was good, it was really fun and lifeguards are all great guys, you know, we all became good mates and still keep in contact today.
0: That's cool. Yeah. It certainly changed, well, I feel like that was kind of a real shift in, like, documentary, real life TV yeah. everyday people.
1: Observational Documentary TV. So that show would have to be Australia's biggest success. Like I think it's gone 16 seasons or something like that now. So it's, yeah, huge success and um, worldwide. And, you know, you'd, you'd get these cool things where like, yeah, you know, I remember the guys, there's a, a, a they're called Jurassic Five um, hip-hop artists from, from America. And me um, and some of the lifeguards, we all went out on, went out on the first. We went to uh, watch the, one of the Sydney, Sydney basketball teams. Playing, and the guys from Jurassic Five were there watching the, you know, they were watching the game, and we got chatting to them, whatever. And we we're like, oh yeah, like, and they were really like blown away that the guys from Bondi Rescue were there because the they'd fans, been watching the show, yeah. And then, and the next day they all come down, like, hung out at the <laughs> hung out at the tower and stuff. So yeah, it was it was an awesome way to kind of move to Sydney as well and kind of see how see how Sydney happens.
0: Yeah, favorite memory
1: uh, of that time. Like, and, and the other question is, what season like? How early were you there? Um, oh, the rescue? so the first season I did, I think, was maybe seven or eight. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then I went away, and I've and I've gone back and done, I think, maybe eleven or thirteen something. Yeah, I, I haven't done a sort of uh, consecutive run, but um, all, have always sort of kept in touch with the guys. Um, sort of, and whenever I'm down at the beach, I'll stick my head in the tower and say good day, say good day to the boys, hope. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bit of a change of the guard as well. Like there's a whole lot of new guys now that I don't know so well, but Oh, yeah. Have to put your head back yeah. in. Yeah. I don't know favorite memory. I don't know. I couldn't sort of point to one thing, but um Yeah, it's uh like you see some wild stuff down there, like some real characters getting around, hey. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I think probably
1: like the more exciting things that that I've seen and been a part of is, you know, and you would have seen it on the episodes. a bit memorable where you know they've got like the bag snatcher happening, yeah. And so there was one in particular where I was up on the zoom lens, you know. And so and you've you've got the zoom lens and you're zooming in, you're following them, and you know, so you sort of feel like you're kind of part of some sort of I don't know, like <laughs> police chase, police chase <laughs> mission or something. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We just need the drone
0: nowadays, where you could just
1: yeah. Oh, I, oh, that's been a huge thing in in film and television is the drones. Hey, like it's changed so much.
0: Game changer. Tell me, was it always we you always interested in doing something? In the ag side and back closer to home up in the territory?
1: I think uh, probably it wasn't like it wasn't something as a childhood sort of thing that I was um, sort of consciously into, but like looking back on it now, like we always had a video camera, would be going out fishing and or just be going out hunting or whatever we were doing? You know, we always took a camera, me and my mates, like and and like sort of looking back on it now, I think that kind of definitely, yeah, like definitely sort of plays a role and you sort of think, oh, yeah, I suppose I was always into it. And my mum was telling me she she found some old video around the house where I'd taken her camera that she used to use for work and I'd done like a sort of little documentary about the ants that were living in the backyard and stuff like that. So I guess I, guess I sort of was, but it wasn't a conscious thing like, oh, one day I'm going to go and work in TV shows or anything like that. I think that just naturally happened. And, and then once I got to... Once I moved down into Sydney and was working on shows like Bondi Rescue and uh, I did stuff with X Factor and um, uh, The Great Australian Bake Off and these sort of um, shiny for reality-based shows, I started thinking this is so much more boring than what's happening in the bush. Like, you know, if if you head out to regional areas and agricultural space, things are, I I thought, much more exciting and interesting. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until I'd sort of seen the comparison, I kind of really kind of wanted to jump into it i think yeah
0: and so you you started off the early days just what the outback ringer piece was just an idea on on paper was it through chatting with mates who had gone and worked on stations or how did that come about well
1: so like at school like in darwin especially when i was younger like darwin was a lot smaller place population was probably uh, i think when i was in primary school it was about seventy thousand. so you know it's about 130 140 now so yeah it was about half the size and so, you know, down the street from where I grew up, there was a family, the Ainsworths, and their dad was a very sort of prominent, well-known vet in the ag industry. And, and they were sort of, you know, close with another family, the Warreners, who are really well-known, you know, in sort of operating at CPC in some of these stations around. And so you always heard, like, all these, like, amazing stories of ringers and mustering and, and what was going on. And it wasn't until I was a bit older I actually got out there and experienced it for myself. But I was always so fascinated and... Yeah. And kind of like yeah, when the, when people would start telling those yarns, my ears would always be pricking up, and I'd be real interested. So as I got a bit older, yeah, you get the opportunity to go out and see these sorts of things, and and then you know, and it sort of, in some respects, it's um, it's a lot harder and more difficult than what you'd ever imagine, but it's also more glamorous than what you'd ever imagine as well. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me that
0: uh, from from idea, and you're touching on it at the beginning. It wasn't just a matter of cult, well write the script and off we go we'll find a few people it was it was years in the making before you got it
1: yeah that. no it was it was when i was at uni i was uh, i was kind of thinking about a lot and talking about a lot and so i called up um one of my mates tommy warren and his brother jock was managing up at um uh, rotham park up in queensland sort of near chilago and um and he was like you know we'll go up there on uni break and they'll be mustering cattle and we'll just cruise around have a bit of fun so we we went up there and we just um yeah we just sort of poked along behind behind everyone and watched it happen and drank beers and told yarns and had a great time and i took my cameras and got a bit of footage and and we always thought yeah well you know what can i do with this footage and i sort of once and then when i started actually trying to cut things together and started thinking like what's the motivation for this and what's the story and you know so somebody's doing this thing which looks awesome and it is dangerous Mm -hmm. but Know, why are they doing it what's their motivation and how do i know when there's a finish line in sight and um yeah you start asking those questions and it sort of becomes like oh well this is a bigger story and how am i going to tell it but that footage was yeah that was quite a few years before um and that was in queens it was quite a few years before i sort of figured out how to do things um with the ringers yeah
0: and have you looked back on that footage since and, and seen what you've achieved? And
1: I, I I looked at it last year, a couple of years ago, I was found an old laptop and it was sitting there on the desktop and, you know, it had like Credence Clearwater music playing <laughs> along and, you know, and I was thinking like, oh, I can see how a younger version of myself really like this, but yeah. yeah, you know, it had dated. <laughs> t- times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Have you got yeah. anything over the years that you've recorded and you think like even still today that that's... Yeah, something you're really proud of or or kind of a...
1: Probably the opposite, eh? Probably the opposite. You know, like if I'll be watching stuff on, that goes to air that I've either shot or, um, or been involved in and I'm like, sometimes I feel a bit cringy. I'm like, oh, man, what was I doing? I should have done it better. I should have been in this spot. I should have been in that spot and... You know, I guess um and then if it's I think if it's good I kinda don't notice it's a bit you're a bit I I don't know, maybe a bit hard on myself, but Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just sit there yeah. like this.
1: well I was, if I sit down and watch Ringers or um or any of the episodes of other shows. I do I also work on a show called Um Aussie Salvage Squad, which I do I'm a series director for for Discovery and we'll watch episodes and, you know, it's a bit out of focus or I've, I've stood in the wrong spot to I'm, I just, I just cringe, you know. I'm like, oh, what was I doing?
0: But no yeah. one else would be seeing it, would they?
1: Oh, apart from my uh, other cameraman that we sitting with me there on the day, they you know, they'll probably be giving me a bit of ribbing, but yeah. you know, well, so it's, it's funny, like, because we work in such small teams, and we go usually mostly in really remote places. You get a real uh, camaraderie. It's like sort of a family. Everyone says it's like a family, but you know, the part of being in a family is being able to just totally rib everyone and. Give each other hell. So we do a bit of that. Yeah. Keep each other honest and humble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've um
0: you've spent ten years doing this cave up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Where yeah.
0: um have you been all over the world or has it mainly been in Australia?
1: Mainly Australia. I've done a bit of stuff overseas. Um, but um yeah, Australia's been been my focus. I've always been probably um maybe a little bit more interested in what we're doing here than stuff overseas. I think. Um there's definitely like a big part of our industry which is like you know you got to get to the UK and you got to get to America and and that's where you know the really high end stuff's getting made and there's truth to that there is uh and there's you know there's real value in it but for me I've always been more fascinated in what we're doing and what's happening um you know Australian stories I find to be you know really interesting yeah
0: i'm going to ask you about like the the whole tv space versus netflix versus kind of just yeah giving it to people on their mobiles what do you reckon like because that's changed so much in that.
1: Time oh that and it is filming. it constantly is changing um and it's hard it's really hard to keep up with probably the the biggest effect that it has on us is, is just there's no advertising revenue in the networks anymore they don't have the money they um you know and if they're getting squeezed um we're getting squeezed and so when i first started um 10 years ago now not that long compared to other people that are still working in the industry but you know when I I had that role you know I was a camera assistant and you know I was getting coffees and I was you know just oftentimes just a spare set of hands um and that's where I got to really learn a lot Mm -hmm. um you know you worked hard but you you learned a lot and then you got to progress and when you did progress you really um had a good understanding of what that like assistant role is and and how you can help people out and all those sorts of things and and you take the next step and you sort of get to pick up a camera or you get to hold this notepad for the producer or whatever it is. And whereas now we don't really have those roles anymore, those entry-level positions, they've, they've kind of all disappeared. And, um, you know, e- even like as technology's changed at the same time as the, there's been a real crunch on the budgets, there's been like quite sort of innovative technological changes that mean we don't, we don't need to spend as much in some areas. Like we touched on the drones before, like, you know, like every cameraman used to have their chopper pilot and you know, they were like that they worked with and they chose and they worked and they knew how to communicate and they could get those shots. Whereas now every cameraman's just got a drone. Yep. So you do you know chopper pilot's gone and um, you know we're also seeing like a lot of the shows we've done now, we don't have sound operators anymore.
0: So how so, does it all work?
1: So we'd run all our own sound, we have like um, like ours here. Yeah, like, like this room right here. <laughs>
0: Literally, you're just running it straight off your camera and
1: yes well sort of we've got um yeah we've got these sort of mobile recorders that that are all jam um, jam coded and we've got time code that will run between the cameras and then we run a lot of um uh, minicams as well a lot of goPros and um, smaller recording devices yeah and then so we can time code sync those as well and so you end up and you know like every year kind of there's a new bit of technology and there's a bit less money and you know and all of a sudden it's like you know we'll be two or three man team and we're running sort of between the three of us, maybe 10 cameras, a drone, um, you know, four or five mics, uh, all the story and uh, all the logistics and we're doing it all out of the back of one car. Um, And often having to change locations and move accommodation at night and every second day or whatever if you're on a bit of a moving schedule and, yeah, it becomes a a really, really labour-intensive job um, where you're sort of really juggling. I, I don't think we can't. I don't think we can really cut back any further like this side of three man team sort of jobs that we're doing are as as skeleton as we can really do but um yeah at the same time there's a positive side to it in that I feel we can be a lot more intimate with the people we're filming yeah. like we you know when you turn up with a film crew like and you got like 10 people and you got you know people with boots stomping in and out of people's houses or workplaces or whatever and you got Pelican cases and yeah. microphones and booms overhead and you know it can be unnerving and yeah it can take a long time for people to feel comfortable enough to be sort of quite genuinely themselves on camera yeah so when we are a bit smaller a bit more nimble you can kind of get to relate to someone a bit easier and yeah it does i think it does like and with ringers i think we found that we ran a really small really small team um, for a lot of ringers season two it was just two of us it was just ash and myself we sort of we shot everything and Really, yeah, we had uh, we had a couple of camera assistants. Um, Sammy Harris and Keen McHugh are awesome, but we only had them for smaller periods of time. So yeah, primarily um, Ash and myself shot the shot the most of it. Yeah,
0: and that say so, like it was ten ten episodes, wasn't it? That second series,
1: seven for season two. Yeah, and so we were a shorter season.
0: And like, how long does it take to make that?
1: Uh, I think we were, I was nine weeks in the field. I think Ash was nine. Then we had a few other people coming, going I think all up. It's about a sort of 12 week shoot schedule. Yep. And, um, and then we're about sort of six months in the edit. God. Yeah. For seven half an hour episodes. Do you
0: dread the yeah. edit?
1: Um, I quite like it. Yeah. It's pretty, there's a lot of problem solving. Um, that I'm not that computer advanced, like with, um, with the editing software. So I'm constantly sort of asking for help and how do I fix this and how do I what button do I press for that? But that's yeah, just trying to log in. Yeah, and that's just to get <laughs> that's just to get it turn it on. You know, <laughs> nah. But apart from yeah, apart from that side of things, um, I quite like it. I, I like the storytelling side to it as well, and yeah, um, it, and it really, really um, informs what you do in the field as well. Like sort of every time you get to spend, um, spend a period with the footage and going through it and trying to solve those problems, but you go, oh, if I go back, this is how I will we'll improve on it next time by doing this and that, and yeah. Yeah, that's how they. That's how they should evolve, really.
0: And tell me, because you've got Outback Ringers, then so you've got that's kind of, I guess, your baby in a sense, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. It was the, it was the first one that I ever sort of come up with the idea, and, and and like I didn't get it up on my own. Like I did it with um, Ben Davies, who's the creator of Bondi Rescue. So mm-hmm. working on Bondi Rescue, I sort of when I sort of formulated the idea, I had a good relationship with him, and I went back and said, "Hey, I have got this idea." and he's pretty into like Australiana and Australian stories as well. And he saw the value in it straight away and went, yeah, you're onto something. Let's, yeah. you know, let's work it. I know people at the ABC and, yeah, we kind of went from there. But, um, yeah, that's – yeah, it sort of has been my baby really, yeah. And because then
0: you run – you help one of your mates out on Outback Wrangler as well.
1: Outback Wrangler, yeah. So Ash Dunn, he's my business partner mm-hmm. and um, he came and shot Outback Ringers with me on season two. And prior to that I would go and shoot out back Wrangler with him. Um, with uh, Matt Wright and, and all the team up there. Yeah. Yeah. We spent uh spent a lot of time sort of dredging around swamps and
0: Yeah. <laughs> Any close calls with
1: wildlife? Oh, I try to keep my distance with the crocodiles, eh? Like they're um yeah, they're they're pretty intense animals. Probably the scariest one I ever encountered with Matt, we some we got called out to La Station, which is um, not far from Darwin. And um there was one there and Matt, he's hes you know, really good at reading these animals and stuff and he's, he said, oh, watch out. I think this one could be from like a sort of domestic situation, so like whether someone had as a pet or was on a farm or something. It had been tagged. I think it was a tag or something on it. And I sort of thought, oh, well, it knows people. It should be fine. And that was <laughs> – it was the opposite. It it had learned to associate, oh, here's humans. They're probably bringing me some chicken or something. Yeah. And so I remember sort of – Stepping down with the camera, sort of going down to get a bit closer to the water and this thing come out of the water like an explosion and I took three or four steps back real quick and kind of jumped behind the car, zoomed in and you know <laughs> from the safety <laughs> of cover. Yeah, a bit of safety of cover. But um no, the the guys are they're so good and they've done it for so long, they really know where to sit you and, and and how to keep out of harm's way.
0: I've never ever well, I've been to Darwin for all of four days. I was meant to spend like ten weeks up there a few years ago then COVID came through, and then so hopefully this year.
1: Is oh my mate, plan. we'll have to get you out there. Yeah, I'll come and around. be a lackey for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going back? Um, well, I go, I go pretty, I go back pretty regularly. Um, so I'll probably head up. Um, oh, I'll probably be end of the year by the time I get up there. This time we've got a few other projects yeah. in front of me at the moment, but yeah.
0: And uh, some of those other projects, you you were chatting about one earlier.
1: So yeah, well, so when one we're working. I, I feel like I get to do some pretty fun stuff. It's sort of like you know, find out what you're interested in, and then if you go and film it, that could be your job. Yeah. Like uh, so, but yeah, I've I've always grown up um, in in and out of Toyotas, and and um, so when the opportunity came up to do a documentary on the history of the Toyota Land Cruiser, so I was jumped at the jumped at the chance. So, um, so we're working on that at the moment. We just got started, um, and uh, yeah, we've got two pretty cool hosts. We've got. Um, uh, got a guys um, Taylor Smith and uh, Luke Purdy from Aussie Salvage Squad that are gonna run us through it. Yeah. So yeah, we're pretty excited to see how that works out.
0: Are you are gonna go pull out some Land Cruisers from all kinds of places?
1: Oh mate, I don't know. We're still we're still trying to figure it out. But one thing we are looking for is um, if any of the listeners um, want to shout out is uh, we're looking for highest mileage total Land Cruiser in Australia. So we found one with a million one hundred. We're looking to top that.
0: Okay. Where can they find you?
1: Um, Maybe we'll put up a post. We'll though. put up a post, yeah.
0: And then they can uh, w- drop it in.
1: Drop it in, yeah.
0: I wonder what it'll be. have to be, I reckon, one and a half million.
1: It'd have to be, yeah. yeah.
0: But same engine, you reckon? Is that the challenge?
1: Oh, I, I won't put too many rules on it. If the numbers are crazy, <laughs> we're interested in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that the chassis is still going after a million in Australia would be pretty amazing. So, And yeah. do you reckon
0: that'll take you kind of all over?
1: Well, so... We're we're sort of primarily looking at Australia, um, and we'll we'll be looking at um, all the series. So we'll look at the we'll start with twenty series. Yeah, up in the snowy hydro, and we'll do a bit of a sort of like the, it's always as well like so with these types. The same as ringers and same as Wrangler, It's always a really good excuse just to profile epic Australian stuff. Like you know, so obviously we've done heaps with the outback. We're pretty excited to do a really cool profile picture on the snowy hydro project. Yeah, now like it's just. It's one of the engineering wonders of the world. So, and that's when that started. That's what brought the Land Cruisers into Australia. So, uh, yeah, they were really struggling with the um, with the Land Rovers and with. Just the the cold and the slop and the difficult conditions. Um, and these, uh, it was off the back of the Second World War. The Japanese had sort of just developed the the twenty series. Yeah. With um, the guys from Jeep had gone over there and helped them to help them to design it. And these brothers, there are, um, Australian Australian uh, motor dealership brothers, they saw the potential for basically solving the problems that was happening in the snowy hydro construction movement. So. They brought the 20 series out and then um, I think, I don't know, I'm still doing my research. We're still, we've are only just started on this documentary but my read on it is that they had to create like a commercial entity to bring them in from Japan yeah. and, um, and part of that then they saw the potential in Queensland for the 40 series within mining industry and cattle industry and sort of all went from there really. So you're yeah. gonna be going everywhere as part of it. Well, yeah, well, I think we, you know, we'll definitely, we'll definitely go back and see some of our sort of cattle industry friends, and I think we'll go and um, see some pretty cool mines. Um, yeah, that's and, gonna be um, unreal. Yeah, so sort of, yeah, tough conditions where Land Cruisers go. Yeah.
0: Do you have many mundane days at work in
1: in your gig? Uh, well, like so, so much of it is planning. You know, so much of it is trying to get people on the phone and. With with documentary space, you're trying to get people to do stuff when you've got really limited resources as well. So, yep. you know, you're constantly asking for favors for people or trying to sort of, and, and when people hear, oh, you you know, film and TV, they often think dollar signs as well. So you're kind of often letting people down, and so mundane, not so much, but you you definitely feel the stress and the pressure of trying to trying to get things done against the will of everyone else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's um.
0: Best part, like, what's the, been the highlight of your career and, and maybe a low light? You can choose which one you go first.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know about highlight, but I can tell you now there's been a lot of, like, flat tyres in the middle of nowhere when you're in a hurry and, yeah. you know, you're just under the pump and rolling around trying to, you know, trying to fix vehicles when you you know that there's a helicopter taking off in 120 in k's away and you're supposed to be sticking cameras in it and if you don't get them in there, you're not going to get your story. And, you know, that pressure and stress and you know you don't forget that um but there's so many highlights as well like at the end of the day like we always call it shooting gold you know like when you're shooting that beautiful golden sunlight and you know everything looks amazing and everything comes into frame perfectly and lines up and you know you're high-fiving going like oh mate this looks unreal have a look at this and you know when you've captured it like that's that's when you sort of go oh this is this is what the job is all about there's um in episode in season three i think it's episode six or five where we're with the cooks um we had this afternoon mustering and just the footage just looks so amazing and um and ash and i were there we had our long lenses on we shit all slow motion you know you sort of and you get back to the edits when you get back to the um back to the stock camp and you're going through the footage like yeah that's what sort of you know and that enjoyment and like keeps you motivated you're like oh all right how can we do it better next time and that's the sort of stuff that keeps you going. But there's a lot of there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears to kinda of get those opportunities and, yeah.
0: and 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 can you enjoy it like when the final product's out, or is it like you're on to the next project by the time by the time it's released?
1: Sometimes it takes sometimes there's a bit of you need a bit of breathing space, you know, you're sort of like, Oh, I need a need a little while before I look at that again, you know, like you just especially after doing the editing and stuff as well, you sort of, you see and hear things so many times you kind of you need to step away from it a bit. Yeah. Then you can go back and really enjoy it. But you know, like I think it's, it's also really, really uh, rewarding when you see people that you're filming with and you go on day, the first day you film with them and you say, you know, like this is going to be really good and don't worry. Don't feel pressure we'll get there like, you know, you're going to be good. You're going to be able to talk on camera and you're going to look confident and we're going to look after you. And nobody ever believes you. They think that you're carrying an affair and you're going to ruin their lives and, you know, you're here to do all these horrible things. But then to finally sort of, you know, keep going back and those relationships are still really strong and people start saying, all right, I trust your judgment, let's go for it. And it becomes easier and easier. And I think, you know, like there's always those moments where you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to ask them to do this for this shot or um, I want them to kind of... Do things differently so that we can film it in a better way, and you just know that a year previous, or you know, even a couple of weeks previous, you're like, "No way, you couldn't even ask that." And then you get to the point where the talent's saying, "Hey, I got this great idea. Why don't we film it like this?" And, and you go, "Shit, that's a really good idea. Hell yeah, let's do it." They're gonna take my job. <laughs> yeah. So that, like, I guess that progress where you see those relationships evolving is, um, is is really awesome, and it's it's another one of the things that makes you kind of keep wanting to do it because it is a really, really hard job.
0: Tell me, one thing I've wondered after like the success of Yellowstone um, over in the States, it's not quite – definitely not documentary, but like that kind of blend where it's like, yeah, base the storyline on real life, mm. add a fair bit of mayo to it yeah. and then create something. Do you reckon there's opportunity for something like that in Australia based around agriculture or that rural way of life?
1: That oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely like – the stories in outback Australia are second to none, like you know, and and I stand by it. Like you know, there's a lot of stuff in America that, you know, especially the history of uh, like American agriculture as well is incredibly fascinating. But you know, we you know we'll stand next to them for anything. I'd say the the hard part with Australian, like f- for Yellowstone, for example, it's a drama series, and the amount of money that it would cost to make that is uh, is immense. And in Australia, we have got quite a small um, market. For, for viewership so that's one of our big hurdles and we've also got um you know less international interest in what we're doing so when you sort of say hey we're gonna ha- we want this huge mega budget for this australian drama series yeah. to sell overseas the numbers aren't gonna immediately make people want to jump out and say great where do we invest so yeah. we've got the our size makes it really hard to kind of make something to that quality level of like a yellowstone But at the same time, we punch so far above our weight. Like, you know, Australian cinematographers and directors are are really, really good. Um, You know, our crews, like, we're some of the best, you know, and if you go to anywhere in LA or the UK or whatever, there's a lot of Australian crew around and for good reason. Like, we really punch above our weight. So, um, look, there's definitely potential for it and it would come down to the writing. It would come down to finding the right right writing team to do it because, you know... I think a lot of Australian writers are probably metropolitan-based, really, like the, the people that are good and would be able to pull off something to that level of um, budget. Um, so, you know... Not quite, uh, not quite the Montana equivalents. <laughs> well, I, like, you know, I think we we would have sort of, you know, equivalents in some areas and not other areas. But, look, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely space for a story like that to be told. Personally, I think, you know, I'd love to see it told in the Territory. I think Northern Territory is still like has to be one of the most fascinating places on earth for storytellers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I can't wait to get there. Tell me um, a couple of last questions for you. Um, dream project, if you could do anything, wave a magic wand, what would it be?
1: Uh, I've always, I've always wanted to do like an Australian sort of um, uh, like a Top Gear type show, you know, yeah. like, um, but do the whole thing in the outback. That'd be um with all,
0: all different cars,
1: yeah, cars, everything, motorbikes. Do like a sort of testing, sort of style show with some really good hosts. That's always been something I wanted to do since I was quite young. Yeah, but I think um like looking up the looking up the road, I'd I'd love to step into that kind of um, drama space for a while, mm-hmm. directing some of those um, stories. But definitely um, with a focus on yeah, regional Australia. I think most of the stuff that I'm developing uh, or I'm trying to get up is. In some way or another, um, regional based, yeah.
0: And do you feel like for your career is that? Would you love to be living in the regions or like, yeah, living in? Nah, in Sydney? I love
1: Sydney. Sydney's an awesome place to to live. Um, I feel as well like when I'm filming a lot in the bush, like coming back into the city is like a like it's really like because I'm not doing a nine to five. In the traffic, get into the city, sit in a cubicle, get home. Like I think that lifestyle wouldn't be for me. Yeah. Um. So like when I get back to Sydney, I've you know like I'm I sort of got free reign. It's not like I'm on holiday. I'm still working, but I'm not yeah. tied to this kind of you know battle of traffic type thing. And it's a Sydney is an absolutely spectacular city. Like it's got to be one of the best in the world.
0: Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Get yeah. down on that harbour and it's like
1: yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it just blows yeah. your mind.
0: One last question, and I will ask everyone who comes on the podcast Um, and it's based around agriculture so you can give whatever advice you'd like. But you get the chance to head down to one of the local high schools and chat to year 10 students. What would be your advice to them about
1: looking at a career in agriculture? I'd say definitely do it. One thing I I know I've been really lucky to get to spend a lot of time with people that have dedicated their entire life to agriculture and one thing I always notice is that they're so – in line with the seasons and I think being connected to the seasons and connected to the land is something we haven't been able to figure out in the city. Like it's, um, it's a little bit hard to describe, but I think there's a, there's something that we lost, we were losing by sitting, you know, sitting indoors all day. And, and, um and, you know, there's a lot of, you hear a lot of, you know, bad news about how kids have got mental health problems and stuff like that today. And I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear if just being so totally removed from the cycle of the seasons, um, and, and how nature works is, is played a role in that. And, um, yeah, I'd say definitely, definitely do it. And the thing is as well is you, if you really dedicate your life to something in agriculture, you get such a, a rounded view on, on everything because, you know, you're seeing the life and death cycle of animals, you're seeing the seasons change and you're also learning to run a business. Yep. So it's not just, uh, you know, like I'm a botanist who knows the most about the plants. You know, you need to be a botanist who knows about the plants. You need to be you know, you need to be a veterinarian who knows how to look after the animals, you need to be a businessman who knows how to do the accounting and do the balance sheets and deal with the employees and you need to be a psychologist for the people that are coming and going off your property and and when you meet people that have done it and do it constantly day and night, you get it's pretty inspiring, eh?
0: No, it is. As you're just rattling them off, it's so easy to think of like, yeah, it's the school teacher, it's the blah, blah blah. But it it's yeah, it's the literally the the jack of all.
1: Yeah, the jack of all. You get such a rounded view on on life, and uh, and I think if you don't sort of really like get away from what happens with you know like this, especially for young kids. Uh, you know, I remember they used to not that successfully with me or a lot of my friends, but they always try and sort of pressure you to make decisions, what's your career going to be and where you going to go and what uni course are you going to study or what trade are you going to do. And, you know, you're sort of a seven year old kid, you know, you can't even figure out what you're going to have for dinner, you know. Like you yeah. can't make those decisions. So um, I think getting out in the, getting out onto a farm or having a station or something would awesome, awesome thing to do. And, and I always would think to myself um, working and doing what I'm doing, like, you know, if I could go back, I would have – love to have done, you know, a couple of seasons, ringing or, you know, even just working on, you know, a fencing crew or something like that. Because you, you learn, and when you learn work ethic, everything in the rest of your life becomes so much easier.
0: Tell me what you learned from, um, this is my last question, I promise, <laughs> what, what you learned from um, going and actually pursuing your own business and, yeah, creating your own business and being able to live your passion every day. Oh,
1: it's pretty humbling, eh? <laughs> you learn that you're not very good at anything. <laughs> and there's always someone that's way better than you at everything. But apart apart from that, you you sort of one thing that I, one thing I've sort of figured out in the last few years, just because trying to make my own shows and or trying to find people to collaborate with, is you got to do something. You can't. Nothing will ever come to you. Nothing will ever just happen from from sitting back and hoping. Yeah. Like the harder you work, the more lucky you get. That's that's the thing that you sort of figure out. And even if you're working really hard and you don't feel like you're making any progress at all, then that's when the luck often will come and help you out as well.
0: Yeah, righto. I'll be yeah. crossing my
1: fingers and hoping I can find a bit of
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy, thanks so much. It's been awesome chatting to you tonight. And um, Well, I was
1: going to ask you some questions, Ollie. Oh, God, okay. Should no, I just s- want you – Stop recording? <laughs> no, don't, don't stop. Don't stop. No, I was just going to say, uh, where, where do you see this going with – um? With the, with the podcast and with the media empire that I think you're building. <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: generous. Um, we don't want to take it. Well, yeah. So I guess the exciting thing is when this episode comes out, I've only got a week or so left of full time work for someone else and then jumping into this full time. So that's a, a newsbreaker just here. That's, um, a, that's a huge leap. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's kind of, I think it's, it's one of those things. For, like I started this over three years ago now, the podcast two years ago. And you kind of always do hope that, uh, yeah, one day you could make it full time. And then when it starts to become the reality, it's amazing how scary it is. And you're like, I made these little milestones. I was like, oh, if this comes off, well, then I'll leave then. And then it, like those little deals or little projects came off. And then I was like, the next one comes. And I was like, oh, I'm managing this all right. And then, yeah, it kind of got got to a point where I was just like self-imploded nearly and, um, needed to make a call so where we go from here uh, definitely weekly podcast I think the Wednesday podcast, Wednesday weekly podcast yeah Very so I've been exciting. doing that I've done a hundred and geez it would nearly be a hundred and ten episodes now so um, I want to keep this like the Wednesday podcast is my, my baby I guess in the sense of it's a chance to sit down with interesting people get to know them find out more about them what they've done um, and kind of why they do what they do and then beyond that uh, I'd love to, yeah, create more videos. So we should have our first real properly professionally done video coming out in the next uh, – definitely in the next month. And then beyond that, we'd love to start doing a few series like that. I've got a, um, i – I'll run it past you. I was going to do it at dinner, but we'll do it here instead. I've got this little idea called All Ollie's Adventures. <laughs> that is a
1: good name. I'm pretty sold on
0: it. Already. <laughs> <laughs> and I reckon I'd love to become – Like the micro dirty jobs, what he did over in the US. Oh, yeah, yeah. basically become the apprentice, throw me into different jobs in
1: agriculture and watch me sink or swim. (laughs) I think it's a great idea. What do you reckon? Yeah. Start you (laughs) off with fencing.
0: (laughs) I reckon, yeah, pretty well. Very quickly work out what I'm made of. Yeah. And then those people could become the weekly guests on the podcast. It kind of just becomes a big cycle, but... That's something I'd love to play with, but I don't know where this goes, just um yeah keep I- meeting interesting people, and I think agriculture and food and fiber off the back of that mm. has a huge role to play in the world we live in so oh, yeah, where it goes, no one knows
1: and the thing is as well, it'll take you from you know you know Matt Siker Island down in Tassie all up to the Tiwis or Thursday Island like there's sort of there's no part of australia you, you're not going to explore and find someone having a crack at producing some sort of protein or, or some sort of fibre and, um, and you can be sure as shit they're having a hard time doing it and, yeah. but they're making it work, you know. And, and, um, and those are the stories. They're fascinating stuff. Yeah. yeah so, and you're going to get to dive in and do it all. <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah. So yeah. Anyway.
0: That's uh, – no more questions? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy, thanks for coming on for a chat. I love sitting down with you. And-
1: Mate, anytime. Always shout out. Awesome. Come back and plug my Land Cruiser show to you next time. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> done there. Well, guys, that's it from us for another week. And I hope this week you enjoyed the audio a whole lot more than what it's been like the last couple. There was a few that I'd done face to face and hand on heart, I absolutely butchered the uh, the audio on them and couldn't quite bring them back. But this one was done in person. We made a few tweaks and we've also got a few videos. So if you haven't, jump onto our website which has had a bit of a revamp, humansofagriculture.com and check out some of our videos of latest stories all on there. Look after yourselves, stay safe, stay sane, and we will chat to you next week.